Mel, and you're listening to my Rough Draft podcast, where we talk about embracing our current seasons of faith, work, and wholeness. As a part of the Rough Draft Collective, we are committed to the holistic growth of millennial men and women, and each week we'll discuss how to redefine history with our everyday stories. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to my Road Draft Podcast. Today we are continuing our interview series with one of my friends, Helen Aga. This episode is powerful and will definitely be one for the book, so you do not want to miss a minute. Um, so yeah, let's jump right into today's conversation. Hey Helen, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing good. <laughs> Don't you do that. Yeah, Helen trying to act innocent. But thank you, Helen, for being on today's podcast. Helen is my friend. She's also my line sister. I'm not, I promise I'm not going to bring all my line sisters on here. I may at some point. But anyway, all of us. <laughs> all, all of us. But anyway, she's my friend. She's my line sister. She is someone that I consider to be a part of my godly community. She is my arch nemesis at times. We, we love to play all day. Um, but she is probably like I call her a vault because she has so much knowledge about politics, just about what's going on in this world, about business, about entrepreneurship. And so today we are here to talk about faith, the faith journey, having a crisis in faith. Sometimes we're here to talk about what's going on in the world today and how we can be in the know about politics. And then we are also here to talk about the starts and the stops and all of the highs and lows of entrepreneurship. So thank you again, Helen, for joining us. So let's jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you do? Just the basic, basic question. Tell me about yourself. Yeah. Well, first, thank you for having me on the show, Melanie. This is an extreme honor. So <laughs> so happy to get the chance to talk to your listeners. But um, as you said, my name is Helen. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am a software engineer and so currently, I'm. Uh, what did you say? I said she rich. Sorry, bye. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm a software engineer. I love going to the movies. I love watching documentaries. I love eating. Those are my hobbies. Yes. So, what kind of documentaries you be watching? I watch a whole bunch of documentaries. I watch documentaries about animals. Like I recently got into BBC Earth, and that is the most fascinating channel. That is the most fascinating channel ever. Just check that out. They have YouTube videos on there too. So on my Rough Draft podcast, we always talk about where we are currently in our seasons of life. So, Helen, in one word, can you please describe where you are spiritually, professionally, and mentally? Okay. Um, Spiritually, I would say I'm questioning. Uh, professionally, I would say I'm striving. Mentally, I would say stable. So questioning spiritually. Yes. You better be honest on this podcast. That's all right. Listen, we all got questions. Okay, include myself. <laughs> okay, so that segues perfectly into our next question. So um, Helen, can you walk us through, let's maybe start at from college to where you are now, walk us through your faith journey and kind of how you got to where you are today to where you are questioning your faith a little. Okay. So I would say that um, if I just start in the college time frame, I would say that going to college 
I was someone who had grown up in a Christian household, you know, had that kind of typical upbringing, but my parents were not Bible thumpers. I was not reading the Bible every day with my mom or anything. So I knew just enough, you know, I picked up stuff from sermons. I picked up stuff from just things I'd heard and I formed, I kind of cobbled together a Frankenstein of Christian faith from what I heard from other people. And so by the time I got to college, I was sure I was a Christian. I was sure certain people weren't Christians. And I was jerking back and forth between what I thought a Christian could be, what I actually was, and kind of like just trying to navigate my way through that. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of lows in college because I put so much pressure on myself to live up to what I thought a Christian was. Most of it was not actually rooted in the Bible. It was rooted in hearsay. And so that led me up to 2015 where, um, you know, I went through a very, very, very significant life experience. And that experience was meeting my biological father for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, traveled over to a different country. He lives in a different country to meet him. And through that experience, I resolved a lot of my trauma, a lot of the things that led me to seek to both judge others and also judge myself mm-hmm. through the lens of what I thought was Christianity. And uh, learned a lot about like why my parents went their separate ways and why certain decisions were made. And so when I came back, I was revved up. I was ready to go. I was ready to change my life. I became a vegetarian. I rededicated my life to Christ. I tell you, I hadn't read one full book of the Bible before that time. And I devoured the Bible after that. In 2015, I like read the Bible from start to finish, having not read one book before. Mm. So it was a big change. So having not read one book before, but in college, you said that you were like, you had these thoughts about like what Christians were and were not. And so essentially you were going through the motions, but, but okay. I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss that. Okay. You didn't miss it. No. And you'll find that's how a lot of people are. And often people who are very, very strict and judgmental, they, they often lack a basic understanding of actually the Bible in its totality. They have extracted Mm -hmm. certain pieces that fit within their worldview. Um, And, you know, of course, I don't have judgment for those people because I used to be one of them, but that was the truth. So in 2015, my eyes were open. I finally understood the gospel um, and understood what Jesus came to do and really wanted to live my life for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for being honest. Sheesh, we just started this episode. That is so true, though. So, okay, so you were in college. Like you said, you were kind of, you know, one of those people that may judge others or were going through the motions. Um, And then you had this life experience where you were really like, okay, I'm really going to be on fire for God and really be like what it really means. So that was 2015. It's now 2020. And you said that you're questioning. So what what happened between 2015 and, and 2020 now? I would say that uh, if you think of salvation as almost like, you know, people say they're born again. So you think of it as development in the same way as when you physically develop from a baby to like a teenager is kind of the same way it happens in your faith. Right. Mm -hmm. So what happened was the brand newness of being a Christian. I won't say wore off, but it, it, kind of 
intersected with the reality of what being a Christian is. And what I had to do was come to terms with the fact, and you read about it in the Bible, and of course people talk about it, but that there's a lot of situations in which being a Christian does not quote unquote pay off. Mm. There's a lot of people that aren't in the limelight. They aren't Instagram influencers. They aren't Facebook, YouTube influencers who have these quote unquote perfect lives. Yes, nobody's life is perfect, but we're talking about the you know presentation. There's a lot of people who don't fit into that. And so it was really, really tough. And I'm still struggling with this today. How do I reconcile my faith in this great God who can do immeasurably more than I can think or even conceive with the fact that I struggle in my life on many occasions to be happy, to fight through some of the mental barriers that I face? Um, How do I reconcile those two pictures? Yeah. Well, first, thank you um, for your transparency because you did not have to share that. Um, So thank you. I I really am honored that you would share that here on this platform. And I can say, if if don't nobody else understand you, I understand completely what you are saying. And it does make you question it when, and I've had these same exact questions, Helen, of where it's like, Yes, we believe that God is God, that he's in control, that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, that he's a loving father. But then you have all of these areas of your life where you do question where what you were praying for or hoping for hasn't come to pass. And and granted, you know, as millennials, sometimes we want, we do, and I don't even think that it's instant gratification, but sometimes we do want to see results because I feel like a lot of times that's how we were raised, you know, to kind of expect results. But it is hard and it, and it does cause a crisis in your faith when what you're singing about, what you're being taught to do does not pay off. And so I completely, completely understand where you're coming from. And I wanted to mention something else really quickly, if I may, because we talked yeah. about it earlier and I mentioned the parable of the sower that Jesus told of the seeds and, you know, how there's the one seed that fall on rocky soil and they spring up really quickly. So there's the seeds that are planted and actually reap a harvest. There's the seeds that never grow. And then there's the seeds that fall on rocky ground that spring up quickly, but then are scorched by the sun. And I would say one of the things that I learned was, and it talks about this in the book of Ecclesiastes, that it's one thing to know, it's another thing to believe. Mm. And that's where I'm at in my faith walk is that I accumulated a lot of knowledge about the Bible, about religions, about the faith, about the New Testament, about the apostles. Like I, I feel like I attain a lot of knowledge, but knowing something and believing something are two different things. Mm -hmm. So now it comes to terms with, you may know the arguments for something, but when it, when it really gets tough, do you actually believe it to be true? And that's, that's the tough part. That gap is where I really had to come to terms because one thing about me is that I'm a very authentic person. I like, can, I am like repelled by like fakeness or hypocrisy. And so I was really wrestling with myself when I'm like, okay, I'm telling these people to do these things, but I'm really struggling to believe it myself. And I'm really struggling to live it out myself. And that's one of the reasons why I started my rough draft podcast, because I wanted to be able to give language and help other people understand that they are not by themselves. If they feel that, you know, those 
have those questions in their current seasons um, because I do think that God works it out. And the thing about thing that I'm learning now in my relationship with God is that I can literally tell him like, I'm really doubting you in this area or like I, and not, and it's not disrespect. It's not in a disrespectful way, but it's like, God, I'm, I am really struggling, you know, in this area of temptation, I am really struggling in, you know, this, um, this area of my life. And I want to be responsible for the platform that you, that you give me and all that to say I'm rambling, but all that to say that I completely understand, um, you know, kind of that gap. And I think a lot of people, especially Christian millennials deal with that more than they would like to mention. And I think that a lot of the influencers and the ministers and the pastors deal with that more than they talk about too. So that was a whole spiel, but um, but we, I do want to move on because it segues into our next our next part because again, as Christian millennials or just millennials in general, we can be so driven on our businesses and our careers and our goals and marriage and family and what we want to achieve in this life when this world is literally dying. You know, this world, there's so much chaos going on in this world. And I feel like there's so much that has happened in our lifetime that we become numb to it, that I have become numb to it. And sometimes I just turn off to what is going on in this world. And this is horrible to say, but sometimes when it comes to politics, when it comes to different oppression when it comes to different social injustices it becomes such a norm for us that that we don't know what to do with it and that is so I struggle with that because that is so that, that, that is in such contradiction to what the word of God tells us that we should do you know that we should feed those and we feed those and take care of the orphans and take care of the widows and take care of the lost um that's that's essentially what we are called to do not just you know build up our own life and so one thing that I really like about Helen is that she is very very knowledgeable she's very passionate when it comes to politics when it comes to social injustice, when it just comes to, you know, the different issues that we face in this world, she is knowledgeable about knowledgeable about it and she does her due diligence to educate others. And so with the with the you know racial tensions at an all new high, with the new election coming this year, how can we as Christians and or as millennials be more awakened to what's going on in this world? Yeah. So in the midst of kind of, this is a good segue from what we were talking about with my faith journey. I'm discovering the other aspect of Jesus's character and the other aspect of his mission here on earth, which was to advocate for the least of these, which was to fight against those in power who use their positions of power, whether they be religious or secular positions of power to put down and keep down other people. So, you know, I see this as a, another expression of my faith, literally, to speak about these issues. What are some, of, what would you say are maybe the top three issues of this world that we need to do our research on, that we need to be educated on? What should we be paying attention to? Well, a big deal has been made about income inequality in this country. That's a big, big, big issue. The gap between the rich and poor has widened. We no longer can make a reasonable living off of labor alone. So if there is one issue I definitely want you guys paying attention to is uh, who's supporting uh, resolving that issue through trade, through minimum wage changes. Those are the issues that I really need to focus on. Because right now you have essentially a billionaire class fighting against the working class for control of the United States of America. That's essentially what's happening right now. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's big. It is huge. It is, it is real. 
Um, another issue would be, and it's tied to the same issue, is healthcare. Our life expectancy has gone down even as the stock market has gone up. Oh, wow. So you're looking at people who, us as Americans, rates of suicide, opioid addiction, all of these different things going on, all while certain leaders are saying the economy is doing well. Mm. So going into this election, looking at who's really speaking about changing the way we view healthcare and fundamentally changing the way that we view um, you know, services in this country to ensure that people are living healthy lives. And then the third thing I would say is foreign policy. I know it seems like a world away. I know it seems like we got so much going on here, but directly or indirectly, the money that we spend on our foreign policy affects what we can do for our citizens here. Mm -hmm. So being very aware about the conflicts we've been involved in historically, whether or not we should still be involved in those conflicts, whether or not we're, we're helping and thinking about whether or not that money would be better spent on people here. And um, one last thing I want to throw in there that I'm very passionate about and have been talking about is the state of black people in America, specifically descendants of slavery here in the United States and talking about reparations on my platform because I feel that something is very important for us. So, um, those are the things I would throw out there. So piggybacking off of that last part that you just said, when we were prepping for this, you had talked about there being like this generational wealth transfer from generation to generation and how like, I think you were saying like us as black people don't have access to that or something like that. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And of course, you know, there's articles I can send you so you can put in the description, Melanie, provide to people. Um, but you have to think about the history of race in this country. We as black people have been locked out of accumulating wealth. So we're on the verge of the biggest generational uh, wealth transfer in history where baby boomers are going to start passing on their wealth to their descendants. A lot of our black baby boomers have not been able to accumulate the same amount of wealth as their white counterparts. So we're inheriting a lot less. So if you think about like a death in the black family, it's not just an emotional trauma, it's a financial trauma. I know in my family personally, when someone dies, we don't have enough money to bury them. Mm. They have no saving. They have no benefits. They, you know, we have to scrounge up money just to cremate, cremate their body and have a memorial. So that is the dynamic that's at work here. And so I told you a couple moments ago, we're on track to having zero wealth in 2050. We are about to go over a cliff as a community and we're about to become, I mean, many would argue we, we already are, but we're about to become a permanent underclass. Mm. Um, and, um, I, I know we're, you know, we're talking about many issues today, but just one thing I want to bring up is, one thing that really got me attuned to this was I was tutoring black kids in school and a lot of those kids couldn't read and they were in high school. Today? Not today, but I'm saying like, like in today's in today's time. Yeah, they're they're on track to get high school diplomas, but they can't read. Mm. We have been undereducated. We have been underfunded and and we're living in an economy where you can't be uneducated. You, you can't not be able to read in today's modern economy and yeah. survive. So I don't want to go too far into it because there's a lot of information, but I would just say that, um, you know, the politicians that are telling you everything's okay. We just need to kind of go back to the way things were. 
we need to really be looking closely and make sure we're understanding who's going to actually advocate for positive change. Gotcha. And one thing, you, I'm, I'm sorry, I am going to move on, but one thing you told us again, because this is, this is very important y'all. Um, and like I said, my mind has just been blown. So one thing that we had said when we were prepping for this episode is that, you know, we have the, you know, election coming up in 2020. And I am very guilty of just like, you know, last minute. OK, let me see what where everybody's talking about. But you were telling me how that's like the biggest no, no. Yeah, it's it's very hard. And one of the YouTubers I've watched says this a lot. It's very hard to disengage and then re-engage in politics because as you said, it's very overwhelming. There's a lot going on, especially in the Twitter world, right? News cycles are very short. Things are happening very quickly. So it's much easier for you to consume smaller amounts over a longer period of time. So maybe committing to reading an article every day committing every Sunday to just sitting down for an hour at your favorite brunch place and reading a paper, paper of your choice to try to understand what's going on. Easier to do that over a longer period of time than to jump up October 31st and say, I'm ready. I'm going to just go through all these candidates. (laughs) Very hard to do. Now, of course, as long as you're voting, I'm for it, right? I want you voting, but I'd rather you be an informed voter. So it's hard. There's no easy answers, right? We're all busy. We all have a lot going on. But if you can, try to read an article every week. Just one. Be an informed voter in 2020, y'all. Y'all got all these uh, business plans. Y'all need to be an informed voter so that you can even have a business, okay? <laughs> okay, maybe that was too much. That <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of Insecure when she was talking about Laura. She said, talk about a business plan. Here's a plan. Start the business. <laughs> <laughs> I done done got woke now, so now I'm on fire. (laughs) Moving on. So, segueing into that, um, when it comes to, you know, being knowledgeable, um, you know, in politics, you know, you were just talking about the generational wealth transfer and how, you know, we as Black people, because our parents didn't get the same opportunities, and for many reasons, you know, we do have to, you know, go beyond the traditional route to earn wealth. And so one of those things, of course, is business. I was reading an article where it was saying that like black businesses have grown like 400% since such and such time. And so, you know, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people are starting businesses. And one thing that I will say about Helen is Helen is a true entrepreneur. Now me, listen, I I decided two years ago that I wanted to try to start something and I done gone back and forth since then. But Helen, Helen is a, (laughs) Helen is a true entrepreneur. We were in college. Let me tell y'all this story. We were in college and Helen hit me up and was like, I'm starting this hair business. I'm finna send you these bundles. I need you to have them curled so we can take this photo shoot for my business. And I was like, we are still in college. How do you have hair bundles? Like that was back when we was broke. Spicy. Yes, and those bundles were pricey, and there were some good bundles too. No, but the photos were spicy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I can't do I it. I still have the photos. If y'all want to see the photos, hit me up on this. This is this is why I, I was questioning putting her on. But anyway, she's trying to she's trying to bring up my past. But anyway, um, <laughs> but but yeah, so she um 
I don't know, lost my track of thought. She, <laughs> she is the true definition of a entrepreneur. Um, and so to my knowledge, like it started when she had the hair company in college, but she's always had these different businesses. Um, she is someone that I really look up to because she is quick, you know, to send you an invoice. She charges her worth and is unapologetic about it. Um, and she just does, she operates in such a level of excellence when it comes to her business that it is really admirable. And I really wanted her to really talk through that with us today. And so Helen, was your first business the hair business or did you have a business before that? Well, firstly, Melanie has given me more compliments in the last five minutes than she had throughout a whole friendship. So I just want you to know. <laughs> Um, but secondly, the first business that I started was in high school. I was selling pop tarts. Um, I worked in a school store and I saw that illegal. um, First of all, you talking about bringing people's past up. Okay. (laughs) That that wasn't the question. (laughs) It wasn't illegal. It was just just slightly unethical. Okay. Don't do that. But, um, I was working at the school store. They were selling them for $275. And I was like, aside from the packaging, these are no different from the ones at the store. So I started selling them for $250. And that was my gas money for the week. And so I did that. And then in college, I built uh, some some software products for people, clients here and there. Um, I started the hair business. I've done video editing, podcast editing for certain people. Y'all, oh my gosh, stop right there, y'all. I completely forgot to mention this, but Helen, this podcast would not be a podcast without Helen. So if y'all go back and listen to the first six or seven episodes, Helen was so gracious to um, to edit those episodes for me. And she taught me how to edit. I forgot about that. So yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I had to throw that in there, y'all. My Rev Drive podcast was was helped was started or helped start by Helen and she did an yeah. amazing job and she sent me an invoice I did send you an invoice <laughs> now she's a professional it's not rough anymore it's <laughs> I always play with her she was always but yeah so I love being an entrepreneur I love coming up with ideas I love executing so that's where it comes from so I'm going to get into that chart, into that invoicing in a minute. But um, being that you have, you know, essentially had businesses on and off since high school, a lot of us, especially today, have a lot of passions. We may start a lot of businesses. You know, people always tell us to be patient when it comes to starting a business. But then there comes a point in time where you, I feel like a lot of, a lot of questions that I hear on podcasts now, especially is when do I know when to stop a business? Because let's be honest, a lot of the industries that we are trying to enter into are very saturated. Um, And yes, of course, everyone's voice is important, but let's be real business costs money. (laughs) And so like as someone who's been successful with multiple businesses, like how do you know first when to start a business? So like what research do you do before starting a business? And then when do you know when to stop the business? When to be like, okay, either, you know, lesson learned or it just wasn't the right time, wasn't the right audience, et cetera. Yeah, those are tough questions, especially, you know, depending, excuse me, depending on what industry you're trying to start a business in. I would say starting a business, you want to look at how much capital is going to take for you to start and how much capital is going to take for you to keep going. So we use the Pop-Tart business as a as an example. 
not much capital to get started, not much capital to keep that inventory going. So especially if you're looking at an inventory-based business, you want to make sure that you can provide the supply to your customers. Because let's say it takes off. Let's say you go viral and people are ordering. Well, if you're out of stock, you know, within a couple minutes, that's not a really good user experience, right? So considering that. And then in terms of knowing when to stop, that's tough too, because there are certain times when business can slump. There are certain times where, you know, you can go through a dry spell and things can rebound. And then, of course, you have multi-billion dollar businesses right now like Uber that have never made a profit. And yet they're valued at several billion dollars. Mm. So it does depend on your situation. But I think for me, I knew when to stop when I was not investing in the business to keep it growing. I was investing in the business to allow it to survive. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you know, when you need an investment to grow, that's good. When you need an investment to survive, not so good. That means there's something wrong with your business model. So that's what I would say. But you always want to make sure that your time investment is never beyond what you're willing to give, right, for free. Like you want to make sure that your time investment is commiserate with what you are or are not getting paid. So if you're putting in... in you know, 10 hours a week and that's fine. That's comfortable for you. you if you're not extending yourself, you're not missing family engagements. But if you're putting in 25 hours a week or, you know, 30 hours a week and you're having to cancel plans with friends and, you know, you're trying to do all this stuff, you know, you might want to ask yourself whether or not you're putting in more than you're willing to give. And maybe the answer is still no. Maybe you just love doing it and it's that passion. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, don't, you, you don't want your passion and the thing you love to become the thing that you hate because you're not getting, you know, compensated for it. Mm-hmm. Not getting a return on your investment. Right. You're investing more than you're willing to give and you're losing more than you're willing to lose. So one thing that, that you had said before was that, you know, whenever you did decide to stop a business, you never considered it a loss. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I would say I was really embarrassed that the hair business failed. You know, I really thought it was a great idea. And even to this day, I have ideas about starting in a new way. But I take it as a, le- a, as a lesson learned because it taught me so much about business from the operational aspects, filing taxes, inventory, all those things taught me so much about how to run a business. And so now I'm currently working on the next business and I brought a lot of that knowledge with me. And, you know, as me and my business partner talk, I'm able to offer those insights from having failed. Hold so, up. You said you had a business partner? I do have a business partner. Okay. This is not, you do not have to talk about this, but I, so someone asked me before, like they had a friend that they wanted to go in business with mm-hmm. and they asked me what I thought. And I told them that I didn't think that it was a good idea. Not necessarily, well, okay, let me stop. I didn't I didn't say that I didn't think that it was a good idea, but I told them, I said, you just have to be very, very, very clear on what the expectation is, putting it in writing, um, and really just get very clear and write out like what the expectations will be. So being now grand, that's that's me. That's just me having my MBA and just, you know, learning it through that that avenue. But what would you say being an entrepreneur, an established entrepreneur who started and stopped businesses, um, what are your thoughts on business partnership? Obviously you have one. 
Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we have an attorney, firstly. Nothing was done before anything was done. Helen, don't be playing. (laughs) So everything is legal. Everything is like in writing. So that would be my number one. I don't care if they were your friend from middle school. I don't care. It needs to be in writing before you proceed because promises are easily forgotten when money's involved. Mm -hmm. So that's the first tip I would give you. And the second tip is, you know, it is tough, but you have to know your relationship with that person. Have you guys argued about money before? Do you guys have a lot of disagreements about the way you live life, your work ethic? Is this the friend that would rather chill on the couch with a bag of Cheetos? Nothing wrong with that. They're just your friend. If you're not depending on them to show up to a meeting the next morning, right? Or you're not depending on them to deliver on a deadline. But that but, even, become, but even with the investment piece, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, even with the investment piece, like, are you going to be comfortable if they're putting up so the agreement that I have with my business partner is a little different? You know, I'm putting in a certain amount of labor, whereas my partner is putting in some funds. So making sure you're okay with that. It's a lot of different ways you can structure the agreement. But the first thing you need to make sure is that, you know, when you look at this person's work ethic and you look at the way this person runs their personal affairs at their day job, are you impressed? Is this someone you would hire? If you're not sure, the answer is no, I wouldn't partner with them in business. Okay. So then next question off of that, you talked about how you had an attorney. Like I said, y'all, Helen was a big um, factor in the starting the podcast, but she definitely sent me an invoice. And let me tell y'all something. I, I have learned this from Helen as far as like pricing and charging your worth, because for me, I have, I sometimes feel bad asking people for money, especially when you're starting out a business. And a lot of times while you're trying to build your own audience, you are utilizing friends and family. You are utilizing, you know, people that you already know. And sometimes it's like, oh, but it's this person. Let me either not charge them that much or let me, you know, just do this for free for experience. But, um, Helen, like I said, she is someone who will who will invoice you with the quickness, you know, um, and is unapologetic about it. And she, again, operates to a level of excellence. So she deserves to, to charge. And, and even with the podcast, she didn't charge me nearly as much as she probably should have because she, she helped me a lot and was great at what she did. But how do you get over, how do you get over that, um, that sh- I don't even know if it's shyness or insecurity. I don't really know what it is, but how do you get past that and really charge what you're worth so that you can actually grow your business? Yeah. And isn't it funny how we worry about charging people more, but they don't worry about paying less? (laughs) You know, they don't worry about paying you less. They don't think like, man, maybe I should break her off with something. They just like, one dollar? Okay. <laughs> just run away. But um, yeah, you know, one of the ways that you can do it is by being very logical. It's just like a salary negotiation in a lot of ways. When you negotiate salary, you typically have facts. And of course, Melanie, you can speak to this. You have facts to back up your offer, your counter offer. So it's not just off of emotion. You don't just say, oh, I want $100,000 because I'm great. It's because of the cost of living. It's because of your experience. It's because of certain factors. So in the same way, I try to be very ethical about the way that I present uh, a quote to somebody. I make sure I can explain the reason why I charge this much is because of this, is because of this, is because of this. Every single line item is explained. Mm 
And that removes your emotion. It removes your anxiety from it. And it makes it a completely factual based process that you can be satisfied with. So if they turn it down, you know, you didn't overprice it. You calculated it. Women lie, men lie, even kids lie. Numbers don't lie. So you calculated it and that's what it was. And it just wasn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. So do you, so have you ever had experiences where you realize, okay, the experience for this is better than, you know, the, the money that you could receive from it? Um, yes, I have done those things before, but I will say that they burned me in the end. I would say in most cases when I've done that, when I've given away free bundles or in exchange for something, or I've said, oh, I'm going to just do this sample project. I've always ended putting up, putting in more work than I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. And once you commit to doing it, and then people keep pulling more and more out of you. And it's very hard to stop the spigot and say, no, this is just a free project. Like I'm not going that far. So that is really the annoyance and the irritation of being at the end of that process is what over, helps me overcome my anxiousness and nervousness with sending someone a quote. <laughs> were you hesitant since we are friends and this was like our first business transaction? Were you hesitant or I guess nervous about sending me or reluctant even to do business with me as a friend? You can be honest. Well, you're rich. So I knew <laughs> that any call I sent you, you was going to be able to pay. That's what the, that's what the listeners don't know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he is lying. She's lying. <laughs> I had a really tough experience with somebody um, working with them that was a close friend. And I think that is what gave me pause. Um, so, yeah, I was hesitant to work with you because I didn't want it to affect our friendship and put, uh, you know, money in between us. Um, but I did want to help you with your podcast. I definitely want to be involved in that, but I also knew that my time was valuable. And so I did take that into consideration with the quote that I was trying to help, but also get compensated for my time. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, she, when she was saying the person that burned her, she wasn't talking about me. I paid my money on time. Yeah. I'm not going to say no names. But yeah, okay. So that, and you know what, but that's a very, very good point because I have been in situations where I have wanted to help a friend and I am very kind of like you, like I want to make sure that what I produce is good quality. Um, but, but, but where you have like spent a bunch of time and you don't, there have been times where I did not factor in my time to my price. And so I tried to, again, be either nice, you know, or I have, you know, tried to keep it, you know, the bare minimum because I was just starting out. But then I would end up being resentful if, you know, I put all this time into something and they didn't use it. Or, you know, just in general, like how you were talking about how it affects your friends and your family and your work lifestyle. You know, I've stayed up you know, hours on end working on this thing and then only to receive a certain amount, it does make you burn out. It does make you resentful. Um, and so that is a, definitely a lesson that I have learned. So always factor, always factor in my time as well, especially with service-based businesses. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we are at the end of our 
podcast episode. I have learned so much. My mind is blown. Um, Thank you, Helen, of course, for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Um, So the last question that I ask everyone is, of course, in the rough draft, in the beginning, I talked about how we embrace where we currently are. But the other parts of that is doing the editing process, doing the hard work to become that, you know, masterpiece, bestseller, whatever that looks like. And so what are some goals that you have for 2020 um, that you don't mind sharing with us? Yeah. And how appropriate of a question to ask on the eve of St. Valentine's Day. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah. One of my goals for this year is to start dating, is to make time and be intentional. You say you're trying to do what? Make time and be intentional about dating, hmm. about finding that person. So I'm not on track to do that right now because I'm super busy, but it is something that I want to carve out space for in 2020. So, Okay. Okay, sis. You about to go on ChristianMingle.com? Uh, you know what they say? They, they say that all the crazy people on Christian Mingle. I don't know if those people are crazy <laughs> or they just looking for Christian women. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I don't know where I'm going to be. But uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, mm-hmm. please find me on Instagram, uh, uh-uh. send a picture, and paste up. Thanks. She don't mean that. We not, do, we not doing that. <laughs> Look, uh, this is what, we need to talk about blocking blessings. This is what's going <laughs> on right now. <laughs> but that is good that you are both. You know what? Sometimes, anyway, I'm not going to even get into Christian Millennial on day, and I, we don't have the time. Yeah, so that's a whole nother episode. But um I I really admire you being bold about what you want to do and go for it, sis. Well, go for it. Go yeah. for it. Well, I love it. So um tell us for those who, who may want to slide in the DMs, hey, if you want to slide, go slide. Um, but but for real, but for those who uh, wanna have future conversations with Helen or want to learn, she's really good on her Instagram stories about talking about you know, things that are going on in this world as far as politics. And like I said, she just has a wealth of knowledge in general. And so if you want to follow her, follow up with her questions, if you want to maybe reach out to her for her business, um, where can we reach you, Helen? Yeah, so very simple. I'm on Instagram, Helen underscore Bellin, and uh, we can connect there. Okay. Well, that is it for today's episode. Thank you again, Helen, um, for, for just, again, sharing your story with us, being real with us, um, getting us together. Um, and so, yeah, I love you so much. Thank you so much. And I will see y'all next week for part three of our interview series. Bye, y'all. Thanks for joining us this week on My Rough Draft Podcast. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at underscore Melanie Christina and be sure to subscribe to this show so you don't miss any new episodes. Now, do me a favor and please leave us a five-star rating and review so we can continue to get the word out to other listeners around the world. Also, be sure to head to the roughdraftcollective.com where you can access our online blog, free resources, our one-on-one services, and more. Thanks again for listening and I'll see y'all next week. Bye.